All right, Tanner. So you know how I was filming downtown today? Yeah. I was down there shooting a guy playing a violin. It was a $300,000 violin, 250 years old. Now, I didn't know this, but the oldest instrument, not oldest, that's stupid, the most expensive instrument in the world is a violin. At least I think. It might have been a viola. Sounds about right. I thought maybe it would be like some crazy organ or something because I wasn't thinking right about this. I just thought mere size, scale of it, maybe it'd be more expensive. But no, you've got some violin out there worth millions, I guess. And um, his wasn't that one, but it's very old. It sounded very good. This guy's a wizard with his instrument. And he was down playing violin for a bunch of homeless people that were getting food from a food pantry. And Scott was there. You know Scott. Scott, he's the best. Yeah, Scott, he's the best. There was a man that looked at Scott. He, they're maybe 30 feet away from each other, okay? And this is just a story as to why I love Scott. <laughs> We're, we, we've got all these t-shirts, right? And the guy says, give me the t-shirt off your back. And Scott's facing me, right? The guy's behind him. And without turning around, he takes the t-shirt off. And then turns to the guy and walks up to him, hands it to him, looks him in the eyes. The guy's totally stunned, by the way. He was like, oh, no, no, I, man, I didn't no, mean it. <laughs> you know, but he kind of challenged Scott for a second. Mm-hmm. And, and Scott's like, I'll happily give you my shirt. What is that about? <laughs> I would say Scott is an artist at human connection. And I would love to figure out how to break that down in another episode. We're going to do an episode on how to be Scott. It's amazing. What, was there like an ending to that? Did he actually take his shirt? Yeah. Scott's comment to me after he walked away was, it's pretty chilly out here. Because <laughs> it was cold this morning. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it'd be kind of cool to drive around and then see Scott's shirt on some random guy. You know. But... Um, I got another question for you, and by another question, I mean uh, my first question, because I haven't asked you a question yet. What were you up to when you were 12? When I was 12, going through puberty. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Like many 12-year-olds do. Tell me more. It was not a pretty sight. I, I had... The whole range of things I had. I might be saying, tell me less here in just a minute. <laughs> at, one, <laughs> at one moment, I had the Bieber Fresh cut. Uh, the next moment, I had a buzz cut and braces. Nice. And Oh, yeah, you had like head braces. Oh, I had braces and I had to wear the, I had to wear the night mask. So, yeah, I, I, it was not a good look for me or for anybody. And I'm just happy it's over. Okay. The well, this didn't help very much. Though. All I meant to say was when Taylor Swift was 12, she was learning guitar. I, I definitely was not at 12 years old. That's impressive. That's a young age to be learning your first instrument. I mean, I was learning piano at 11, but who's counting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, Score one for Cameron versus Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. I think it was a, a repairman of some kind that taught her guitar which I find interesting. I think I remember that. Yeah. Wikipedia is very helpful. Right. Um, But I don't know exactly where to start here with how to be Taylor Swift, but I know that, you know, she started young. She was very talented and she had great parents and all of those three things. I think they're very important. Yeah. She had a lot of support from family, but like she knew exactly what she wanted to do. And basically spent all of her time thinking about that and working towards it and trying to like right you know started learning guitar from whoever it was that taught her in her hometown uh was playing live shows anytime she could at 12 13 14 15 years old and even would go and pitch like demos and just you know whatever recordings she could rustle up to record labels Yeah, I guess this is another situation where you'd say she got lucky uh, with her very first release going big. But then again, hasn't everyone famous gotten lucky? But then again, again, aren't there a lot of famous people that are really depressed out of their mind? And 
I, I guess fame can get really ugly, but well, the, she's yeah. done a really good job. Yeah, there's a, there's a mixture with all these things. It seems like of being a, a mixture of being lucky, but having to have put yourself in the position to be lucky, and that's right. definitely something that she did. Where uh, you know she she got she got signed to I think like RCA records at like 14 years old. Really? Bef- yeah, before she ever actually released anything. But then uh, I believe what happened was it was taking a long time for them to actually do anything with her. And so mm. she left. And so she got signed, then left, and then kept playing shows and doing uh, different like industry performances for different labels and events. And eventually, the guy who started a company called Big Machine Records uh, saw her and decided at one of those events. And it was another one of those moments where, you know, big record executive sees someone performing live and says, I want to sign them. And so he did. And that was the group that Taylor Swift, the record label Taylor Swift was with up until like, I think a year or two ago. No kidding. Yeah. And from there, her first album, I don't remember what it's called, but it's the... Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah. Self-titled. Yeah. Uh, from there, that was kind of what put her onto the scene. She, yeah. So like you said, at the very beginning, she basically knew nothing but success in terms of releases. Yeah. I mean, at, at such a young age, you know success better than you know yourself, maybe. Mm-hmm. Better than you know a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but again, I think she's handled everything really well. Uh, but this is less about that and really how do we emulate this somehow? Right. (laughs) Emulate something. How do you take a one of a kind story and pull nuggets of truth out of it? Yeah. I, I saw the documentary Miss Americana and I, I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah, you are. Okay. She, she did concerts when she was younger and she would actually tell people, Go call this radio station, the local one. (laughs) It's that's so great. Call this radio station. Tell them you want to hear a girl named Taylor Swift playing a song called Tim McGraw. She's like, please, yeah, (laughs) please call them and tell them. Yeah, (laughs) and you recognize it. That's a real strategy. You know that she delivered it in a way that was like you know entertaining and funny, and it's yeah, there were probably a good amount of people that did that. Yeah, that's like I saw a guy on the side of the street the other day when I was at a stoplight and he was holding a sign and I thought, homeless guy, you usually think that. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, he was dressed nice. He was smiling, dancing around and his sign said, help me get to a thousand subscribers on YouTube. <laughs> and he had a bar on the right side of the poster. Like a progress bar? A progress bar <laughs> going from the bottom to the top. He was at like 450. Dang. And Respect I thought, to the grind. Yeah, I actually thought, you know, we're not at zero. We're at like, we're at a hundred and something. Hundred and ten. I, I could think. go stand out there and do that. I bet he gains numbers. Yeah, you get some people. <laughs> that that'd be pretty fun. I mean, the important thing would be to actually be providing value in addition to that. Hey, the content. Exactly. Make good content. Yes. I, we're we're off to a good start. Cracking down on two things we could emulate. Go to live shows and, and beg people to call radio stations and play our songs. Exactly. And stand on the side of a street with a sign that says, give me subscribers. And that was one of the things from our last episode that we said, what do we need to do? And it was play live shows. Right. And we followed through already a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, we did. We totally did. We played a live show. We booked a second one. We're, we're off to a good start. It was in the upper corner of this vendor event with a ton of vendors around. You remember it well. I remember it well. Many vendors. (laughs) And uh, we were playing the wrong kind of music for the wrong kind of event. We were playing our sad guy music for a a happy guy event. Yeah, when I decided to play a song, uh, Social Dilemma, where I'm saying, you know, the children are drowning, (laughs) and I'm singing this line, I'm thinking... What have I done? You just kind of mumble it, hoping nobody actually perks their ears up and right. uses it. Yeah. Then you sing Irene, and it's like, feet, don't fail me now. Take me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all minor-y, like sounding chords. And I think you and I were jamming hard, doing a great job. Oh, yeah. And the vendors were just like, I don't know we who these need people to be happier are. than this. Yeah. I think the first thing we heard when we showed up, uh, Amanda, she said to us, Amanda was running the event. She said, um, 
it's getting a little sleepy in here. Can you wake everyone up with some lively music? And I thought, how about some tears? <laughs> right, right. So we're doing good. We got another live show. We've set up our speakers here in the studio. The big boys. Hoping that we can, for some reason, I'm saying that it's the first time that we'll ever practice plugged in to speakers as if we're live. Yeah, yeah, because we pretty much just practice you know, sitting around like we would at a campfire or something like that. Yeah, I don't know why we've never done it before, but I'm excited to start. Yeah. Uh, someone downstairs told me that from us playing upstairs, our speakers sounded muffled. But everyone that saw the speaker said, they look so good. And I'm like, okay. Well, These I'm, speakers should be well, pretty nice. No, we need to tinker with their settings. No, I mean, uh, settings. I mean, think about it. Somebody is downstairs. No, no, no. But they also told me that the guy that played right before us was like crystal clear. Okay. And so we've got some stuff to figure out with that. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but we got to get into the settings with these speakers and, and test it out. Yeah, sure. So yeah, big first album, country album. You know, you what's know? funny about Taylor Swift and going back, listening to her catalog. I never once voluntarily listened to Taylor Swift. But I knew just about every single song. Really? It was like, and because I, I never really listened to her of my own accord, it was like opening a box <laughs> to, a, to the past that I forgot about and taking a, a nice little stroll down memory lane from middle school and onward. And that was the case for pretty much every album. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, every album she did, I think, was basically better than the last up until um, it was 1989, which I just loved Fantastic. that album. Yeah. And then it was Reputation. I liked it. And I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was her peak. Really? was Reputation. Okay. Even seeing her do that live through YouTube. Good, good live whatnot, shows, yeah. I, I think she did a great job with that. And when I say peak, I... I know that she has pressure to always do better, which mm -hmm. I guess is another thing to emulate. I but... mean, she talked about in the, that in the documentary, when you reach the pinnacle of where you always wanted to be, like, where do you go from there? Right, right. And But when you see the pressure, I feel like if I were to receive that kind of success, you know, I wouldn't get so stressed out to the point of tears yeah. to make something so much better. But I guess, again, that's the difference between winning an award and like being a true artist. If you're a true artist, you're like, where do I have to go but up? I'm always just trying to be better than I was yesterday. And I guess she actually does a great job at that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when I say peaked with reputation, her other albums after that were amazing still. Um, they're just a, a good shift. I think they shifted and that it was a good shift. If, if it was just more huge sounding reputation type songs. Right. Um, I wouldn't really want to keep creating the same thing as an artist myself. Yeah, and that's actually something that's really cool about what she did was, you know, kind of the main thing that put her on the map in the very beginning was being able to serve an audience that hadn't ever really been tapped into yet, which was teenage girls who listened to country music. Really? You don't think that was ever tapped into? Well, it, I mean, it had been tapped into, but there especially at the time there there wasn't there there weren't really a whole lot of girls like that i feel like who had somebody who looked the way they did singing songs about how they felt yeah i guess i don't know much about country history and teenage girl country history but she definitely dominated that market <laughs> yeah and to to continue to speak into what we were mentioning earlier about not wanting to make the same stuff. Right. That's like one of the coolest things and most, I think, respectful things about her as an artist is her ability to transform and really shape the identity and the narrative that surrounds her. And so, the, I mean, the big piece of that being her transition from country to pop, which... Right. The, like you could see hints of it leading up from her first album self-titled being like at nothing except for country and then up until red you start to see little hints of the pop 
transitioning in. And then you see in 1989, her first full-fledged pop album, which is her really like rebranding herself kind of. Yeah. And then continuing to rebrand herself with each subsequent album, it seemed. Yeah. I mean, I was shocked at how the albums before 1989 were cross genre. You'd have a couple songs that were pop and you'd have a couple songs that were country. And I, I had this moment where I was like, it's limitless. Tanner and I could make an album with a bunch of different genres. It actually took me to an extreme where I thought, what if making an album looked like a playlist? If you're on Apple Music or Spotify and you're making your playlist, what, what do the fancy people call that? Curating? Sure. Curating your playlist? Fancy people. Um, you, to make an album like that, I think that would take having multiple producers. Each song that you make would have a different producer because they bring a different style. You'd have to be such a brilliant genius, I think, to have an album that emulates what a playlist does. But I'm just throwing this out there. If you and I could do that and be those geniuses, man, that would be huge. I mean, hey, we got two producers right here. Right. Well, I'm a an up and coming. I'm a budding producer. And it is a small bud. This is year one. <laughs> I am two months old. Uh, I'll get there. And then we'll we'll be two producers. Right now we are one point one producers. I'll let you decide the, the tenths of a percent. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Thank you. But collaborating with producers, I don't know how exactly we would get to that point of collaborating with producers right now because I know that at our size, people typically collaborate with people of the same size, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit bigger. And a lot of producers that are smaller like us that we're finding on TikTok do not have a lot of experience or skill. Right. We're experiencing that with tons of people reaching out to us because they're following Gary Vaynerchuk and these different people. They're reaching out like they should probably emailing hundreds of people saying, let me produce for you, collab with me. But we know by listening to their music that it's a different genre and there's not a lot of, um, it's not the sound that we would want, I'll say. And so there is this draw for us to be our own producers for now, but I can't wait for the day that we can collab with legit producers because I find that when she got success as a songwriter, And I know her parents helped a lot with driving her places, connecting her with people. Her parents were amazing Mm -hmm. in her story of making it where she did. To meet producers and kind of lean on them, that is something that I think made a lot of sense for her. If she were to go, okay, wait, I'm going to press pause on everything for like 12 months and really dig in on how to produce so that I can produce myself, I feel that she would be making a mistake yeah at least up until this point yeah because she's been on the up and up and for us we've had no momentum as songwriters in terms of success so it just makes sense for us to go okay while we were we are in this season that we're in this ongoing season of learning growing credibility growing skill one of the skills we're focusing on is producing But I wonder if we'll ever reach that point where, you know, we're collaborating with not one, but five producers on a single album like she does. I just find that that's a really big part of her career is Mm -hmm. tons of different producers speaking life into her songs. Oh, for sure. I think that's a big piece to what made, I mean, especially her studio stuff into what it is, where you can kind of see the juxtaposition like you, you watched her Tiny Desk concert. Yeah, it was and, amazing. Yeah, and it was all her basically playing what the songs were when she wrote them. Mm-hmm. And it was all acoustic, all by herself. And I think that's something that lets you see really clearly the difference between what she comes up with, which is still great songs, and you know the structures there and everything that you need for a good song is there, but the thing that allowed her to kind of transcend that was the producers and artists around her that 
were able to take that and make it into a record. Right. I think she's, and that doesn't able... take away from her. That just, it really doesn't. Yeah. Like I said, I think it would have been a step back if she had produced yeah, or, or taken the time to learn producing with, with her story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think she's, she's been in an amazing and this enviable situation where she can say to a producer, make that a vibe. Yeah, and the producer's just like, I got you. <laughs> and he, I guess they know each other's kind of palette mm-hmm. on on how to do that. And that would be nice. Oh, yeah. But... Where she, I, yeah, like she can say, this is the sound in my head. And whatever it might be. Nice. And the producer will make that a sound and make it sound good. Right, right. And that's something that lets you, like you kind of mentioned earlier lets you really get going with just the creative side. Cause something that happens a lot trying to produce your own stuff, you get so bogged down trying to find or hone in on the sound that you're at, that you actually want to hear that you're hearing in your head that then the creative idea loses its spark. And then you're just left alone sitting there at your computer wondering why you had the idea in the first place, feeling like it wasn't even worthy. Right. Right. Yeah. I think we're trapped somewhere in all of that, um, trying to gain experience and learn new skills with producing. It's like trapped between quantity and quality a little bit. Um, I'd love to release an album a year if I could. And I actually listen to her songs and think, I've kind of done that. Not with all of the songs that she's done, but when I listen to her as a singer-songwriter, not as this produced pop artist, I feel like I relate a little bit. Not to say she is a better songwriter than me. That's what I mean to say. She is <laughs> undoubtedly a better songwriter than I am. Did I say it right that time? Undoubtedly? Undoubtedly? Technically, it's undoubtedly, but it's like vernacular that is, they're, they're both accepted. Okay. Okay. I didn't know that. They're both accepted. This whole time, I thought I was just a... yeah. Dim, witted. I mean that too. Un- <laughs> cool. When she was twelve, writing songs about heartbreak, but she says she didn't understand heartbreak because of her age. She says that she wrote those songs because of movies, TV shows, and books that she had read, and she was kind of basing her songs off of characters that she pulled from those stories. And when I heard that, I thought. I feel, (laughs) I feel hurt or have done at least right now. I feel seen. Mm -hmm. And there's something so satisfying about that, that when I was a kid, when I was 14, genuinely, I thought, how unique am I going to be when I make a video and I explain my process and I'm like, I've studied movies, I've studied TV shows and I have created songs based off of characters from that. I've put myself into the shoes of these characters. It's this huge imaginative world I can stick myself into. And I thought, how unique am I going to be? That's great. And then I see Taylor Swift and I learn about her and I think, I'm not unique. In fact, there's probably dozens like us. Mm -hmm. We're not nearly as big as Taylor Swift, but it is really nice. It's really satisfying. And I feel represented as an artist that's kind of figured out how to do songwriting that way. Like that's kind of validated that method of songwriting for you. Yeah. And I feel it matured me a little bit. Cause now I'm not like, I don't know, some kid wanting to be unique so right. much. It, right. it, that's complicated to try to break down. But I wrote here in my notes, it says, you know, I feel so satisfied with this, yada, yada. I feel represented, yada, yada. Um, but it's not enough to be repre- represented. She has this whole career to show for the songs that she's written, but she didn't write Sister. She didn't write Hello Brother. She didn't write Bubbles. She didn't write Irene. She didn't write Confidence Man. We wrote those songs, and we have a career that's waiting to happen on the backs of those songs. <laughs> I want to reiterate, though, after saying that bold statement, she's a better writer than me. I'm trying to get there. Yeah. <laughs> But just in terms of songwriting, not, not even just producing, um, I'm, I was so happy to learn about her, her and kind of get this sense of confidence. It's just the gap we need to bridge is 
being the producer that she's had Mm -hmm. external from herself. And I don't know if it'll take, you know, a month or a year or two years, but I've gotten excited this last month learning producing. Yeah. It's a cool world to get into for sure. And not for me, not even, I mean, I've been in that world, not for a long time. I'm not some wow, amazing experienced producer. I still have such a long way to go there too and constantly learning there. But a big piece of what I've been excited about is the live performance as well. And us setting up these speakers, trying to get actually a legitimate live show going together where we're trying to figure out how we can, as a two-piece band, bring a show that's bigger than two instruments with looping and all that sort of stuff. Right. That's something that I'm pumped about doing. That kind of brings me into another one of the things that really helped kind of catapult Taylor Swift forward is when she was first starting out, you know, she had her big first album, but there she still wasn't who she is today, of course. And there's still plenty of people that were bigger than her. And she like she toured and opened for a lot of artists. And really? that's something that struck me is one, I mean, that would just be like so much fun if you if we could just find artists to open for on tour. I'd be so down for that. I'd I'd be humble enough to open for just about anybody, probably. <laughs> I think I would too. It's if, like how if saying earlier. If they have enough with... of a following to get shows. Right. That's enough for me. <laughs> yeah. Working with people that are just as big as you, mm-hmm. um, and we are putting on shows for eight people sometimes. Yeah, somebody else putting on a show for eight people. You know, why not? I'll open for you. Yeah. We uh, we need the experience. I think I would take almost anything um, so long as we get to a point where we're playing multiple times a week. Yeah. I As we learned from the last episode, we need that. I would really like that. Mm-hmm. She... Opened for uh, Rascal Flats as her that was her big thing that in that regards to performing was kind of her first claim and it's just that's just a funny dichotomy of you know oh my god it opened for Rascal Flats and then it's just like you became Taylor Swift <laughs> right small potatoes <laughs> right we've talked about. Um... Actually, it's Scott again, potentially knowing Penny and Sparrow. Right. And them being an acoustic band that we can open for. So we we have some things we need to try to put together there. In fact, heck, what are we doing sitting here? I mean, I... I We've got to go make some phone calls. To be fair, I did reach out to them and offered to op- for us to open oh. for their tour this last year. And I just reached out too late. They said that they liked our music and that they would keep us... You're in their, kidding. They said they would keep us in their catalog for future events. They responded? I mean, not them. Their their manager. Oh, you don't say. Don't shoot it down. Say it was them. Yeah, yeah. Penny and Spare. That's amazing. Yeah, they they responded and said couldn't love our music more. They just couldn't let us play because they have a strict policy of Here not allowing artists who are better than them to play before. Them. Okay. Whoa. 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 We both know that's that is way overstepping. Backing off the gas. They're so good. <laughs> I I got going. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I got to cool you down a little bit. The the manager reaching out is pretty cool. That's actually... Yeah, they just already booked an opener. Okay. And so, I, I mean, wow. if they would have booked us instead, if they hadn't had someone, I don't know. But they, they said that they, peed a little they bit. liked it. Yeah. <laughs> There's room for that. I mean, and just as far as collaborations go, for her to work with Bob Taylor, the guitar builder, is like a dream come true to me. I actually didn't know she did that. Well, oh, okay, did she work have like with, her own like, line? She has a relationship with the man. Like cool. the man is, is a friend of her dad's now. Mm-hmm. And apparently they talk on the phone and stuff. Her dad was making money moves. <laughs> Bob Taylor is a, an incredible guy. Mm-hmm. The more I read his book, the more I learn about him. Guitar lessons with Bob Taylor. Exactly. The more I love him. Shout out to Jeff uh, from Slida, Colorado for Jeff Bamber. Yeah. The Luthier telling us to read that book. Um, yeah, they've they've sat on stage together, done interviews, and I find it really ironic and funny that Taylor Swift and Bob Taylor and 
I don't know why I emphasized Swift when I'm trying yeah. to make the point <laughs> that they both share the name Taylor, but that would be a cool, a cool thing. Um, if we can, you know, yeah, just Penny and Sparrow that we're coming for you. Yeah. As in, we are trying to friendly collaborate. Coming for you in the most mutually beneficial way. Okay. Let's, let's go back to her music, her genre. Okay. Um, because I only have like two more points on her and well, actually they both kind of have to do with production. So I would say taste in music is like a spectrum and without doing music full time, I definitely haven't had the chance to discover my sound, uh, cause it's just guy and a guitar. That's what I know. That's what I have a lot of experience with. And I would say I've been kind of learning especially through learning about her, your sound isn't something you sophisticatedly think up. It's more so something you experience along the way through putting in hours of making sounds and keeping the ones you like and ditching the ones you don't. And uh, I've put many hours the last two years into um, business. Mm -hmm. So have you. Kind of because before 2018, we were children. Exactly. (laughs) And... uh, In 2019, all we did was learn about business. And I just don't feel like a professional in just about any aspect of music. That's fair. Me neither. It's, which the last six months we've made strides. For sure. Which is good. But spending two years on business, I didn't realize how much it got us off the page we wanted to be on. Though I am and it's not like very we, happy about how we learned about yeah, business. And it's not like we neglected music, but the thing is if, if you're not treating that like it's the main thing, then it's not going to, this isn't always true, but it's not really going to manifest as if it's the main thing in your life. Right. And for her to do what she knows from her first album, just a girl and a guitar, and she has a producer say, step into the studio, the recording booth with her. Help her and add some drums and... Some... A simpler production. Yeah. I would I would honestly claim, with the limited knowledge that I have, that production is simpler when, when you take a four-piece band sound. Yeah. Um, especially country sound. It's just so well understood. You literally have a sound palette of instruments. Mm-hmm. You know, banjo, mandolin, guitar, harmonies, drums, bass. Drums, bass. It's yeah. simple. Yeah. I'm so sorry to all the country people out there that are like, and country freaking goes hard. Country goes hard. There's a lot of country that is fantastic. Yes, but, but I, I think the production gets harder and harder the more you shift away from that and you start making creative sounds by creative means. Yeah. But to have started... You could make the argument that it's possibly just more time-consuming, but could, I think I would agree with you saying that it's harder as well. But to have started at level one... That's yeah. humble. Yes. Yeah. Especially for us. I, I think that we don't, I don't think we're going to start at level one. I think we've already decided that. And I don't know that that's good. What do you mean level one? You know, hey, let's just have a band sound. Let's just do what's we've, easier we've to get. We've started at level one. That's I guess if that's level one, we started at level zero with the voice memo sessions volume one. <laughs> right. But the voice memo sessions, I would think being voice memo recordings on our phone starting out, we learned pretty quickly that might not be helpful. Cool idea that isn't the best in practice. Because people don't actually enjoy listening to it that much. We didn't give them something that's just sonically awesome. Yeah. And so there's level zero. I would burn that and say, (laughs) you know, it was good that we did it. Yeah. It's also good we didn't continue doing it. Agreed. But that we tried moving past it. Level one from there being the band sound, even in our very first release in 2018, everyone gets their first. We had experiments on there and I would claim we've never like, wouldn't it be nice to approach an album of 12 songs and on every one of the 12 songs, you've got your palette. You're not trying so hard to be something you're not. That and you're not trying so hard to figure out what you are. 
So we always put learning a step ahead of us. We're right. always trying something we don't understand rather yeah. than doing something we just understood. Like we learned it and then we did it. We yeah. kind of do something in the process of learning and then put that thing out before we had ever fully understood it. Yeah. I'm confident. Which I think that we're going to get somewhere with, with all of this one day and, and reach a point where we level that out, where mm -hmm. we're putting out things that come from a place of experience and understanding. But it's a slower startup. And if anyone hearing this had something to pull from what Taylor Swift did that we aren't doing, and it's funny that we're recognizing the problem and I'm just saying... We're not going to do it. I don't know why, but we're on the path we're on. And I think we both like it for some reason. Um, but for anyone out there, like start at level one with pride. If you have 12 songs, record those 12 songs, pushing your boundaries a little bit. But like, really, if your song is good and you put it out there, you ought to be able to find the right ears that might be able to open doors for you. But that release should open doors. I think the real thing is not having quality so high over quantity, but release the songs that you write. Mm -hmm. um, try your darndest to write good songs because that is a must. And then doors can open. But if you don't release songs, doors can't and won't open. More will happen by simply doing things and doing more things. And yeah. what you mentioned is really important where it's, to be completely within what is known isn't ideal in the same way that to be completely in the unknown isn't ideal. Where we've spent a lot of time in majority or complete unknown. <laughs> a lot of time. It's, it's, you know, it's really good to have a foot in both. And that, that's because, you know, to speak to, again, Taylor Swift's experience, be constantly growing and rebranding herself and trying new things in her music. It's something that she's done throughout her career. And she wouldn't have done that if she stepped out, if she just decided that she didn't want to step outside of what she knew. And if I could paint a picture for that, I would say lean on the foot that is in the known. Yeah. Cause I think you'll actually get more done. I really do. I think you'll release more. You'll be more confident That's most fair. of the time and take your other foot and don't just dip your toes in the water, but kind of fling your foot all over the place. Maybe submerge. You might end up... Go thigh deep. You might... Okay. <laughs> you might kick a bunch of things around that, you know, as you're kicking them, you're becoming aware that they're there and you're learning. But so long as you're kind of grounded in what you know, you know, you can kind of reach out there into the unknown. But I wouldn't lean fully into the unknown because that's what I'm thinking that we've done. Yeah, And so in that, we're releasing songs that are unknown to us. That are unknown and essentially unfinished. In terms of experience, yeah. Because yeah. I listen back to Everyone Gets Their First Now, and I'm like, wow, so much potential. <laughs> and it's just one of those things. It's like, that had potential. But I'm not saying, wow, that was really good. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd love to, I guess, reach the point where we're saying that with, well, and, our first album. That'd be fun. And I mean, looking, I don't go back and listen to our catalog a whole lot, but every now and then I'll, I'll go back and see. And the Voice Memo Sessions Volume 2 for us was when we still wanted to do the idea of the Voice Memo Sessions, but decided to actually start using real mics so that it was at least bordering a pleasant sonic experience. Which was fun. Yeah, so much fun. And Especially carrying all of our gear up. Um, up a mountain. What was that? Tenderfoot? Yeah. Mountain? Yeah. That was mountain. such a hike. Yeah. It was... Memories. It was so much fun. And... Go on YouTube, go to Spondiferous, and find that video. S-P-O-N-D-I-F-F-E-R-O-S. Thank you. You're welcome. <sighs> you misspelled our own name. S-P-O-N-D-I-F-F-E-R-O-U-S. You forgot the U. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. You're just going too quick. Keep going. <laughs> I listened to the difference between, you know, our biggest, quote unquote, biggest, still not having gotten really anywhere, song from that being Seasons, which was recorded in a church. We did it live. It was awesome. sounded epic. We loved it at the time. Still love it. Mm. 
But the difference in quality between that and what we've done this year, when you like, when if you want to go to even Spotify and listen to them side by side, you can. It feels like you've taken when you're listening to seasons, and then you go to say old pages or soft heart strong arm. That's a good. That's a good comp. It's like taking the song out of a metal bucket and then putting it in a clear space. Okay. And so there's that there there's that observable improvement, I'd say. There was a huge improvement and watching how it got so much better through your producing kind of also helped me think, heck, I need to learn this producing stuff cuz Tanner's carrying all the weight of this producing <laughs> stuff. I have one other point here. Um, about her albums and it's that she didn't have a lot of filler in her albums you know how we've talked with past bands like okay i'm not trying to just throw them under the bus they're another episode (laughs) but snow patrol (laughs) they've got so much filler you knew it was coming i love snow patrol everyone should love them so many of their albums if not every single one of the albums they've ever released is maybe 40 or 50% filler. And how I would define that filler is bad songs that they say, and maybe they have some sort of sentimental reason to like them, but I would say objectively bad songs. Subjectively, they might love them and a lot of other fans might too, and that's fair. It's like Um, Naruto filler. Like a lot of people aren't going to really enjoy it. But it's there. No, that stuff just sucks. <laughs> and so in their album, they throw a bunch of production at it. Yeah. Probably because maybe they actually like it and maybe they are being creative with it. And it's not like it, from their perspective, this stuff is bad and, and let's throw a bunch of production at it. And when I say a bunch of production, I mean the normal amount of production that their other songs would get on the album. It's just filler would be producing bad songs. In Taylor Swift's albums, filler, I think, would be defined differently. I would define filler as good songs that are produced less. And that's a huge distinction. So if you can... Meaning she just put less time into... Absolutely. It makes, okay. I think it makes the album faster to create and cheaper to create if, say, six out of the 18 songs instead of being all of these sounds that were creatively produced and pulled from a palette and all this stuff, it's guitar and drums and vocals. It's like going back to the band sound or something acoustic. It's a good song, but are you going to do that with your number one hit song? It'd probably be pretty foolish if you take your, like, this is my biggest song, and then you're like, and this is the one I'm going to do, just guitar. Mm Mm-hmm. You are shooting yourself in the foot. Death Cab for Cutie noises. (laughs) (laughs) Love them too. But you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, I think that's a big point, which starts with having the ability to write so many great songs that the leftover ones are good, as opposed to writing a bunch of good songs, maybe one great one, and the leftover is bad. It's like we used to say, if you find yourself in a situation where you're throwing out good songs... You're in a great situation. Well, You're yeah. like, I need 15 songs for this album. You fill up the whole slot of 15. There's like 10 more good ones. And you're like, I want these. But the thing you're telling yourself is, well, I got I got the 10 great ones in here. Mm-hmm. You're in a good position yeah. if, first of all, you've, you've written that many. And you have good ones that you have to throw away. Mm-hmm. I love that. And that's something that I f- almost feel like a lot of big artists don't even capitalize on as much. And maybe they can't due to record label restrictions. Who knows? But I still feel like as an artist, for us, if we were at that point where we had 12 great songs and as a result we had to throw out 10 good ones, Mm -hmm. I feel like that would be another avenue for us to continue the voicemail sessions to say this isn't an official studio album. This is just us enjoying what we've made, but not as much as what we've put our entire being into. There's always a spectrum of, of fans and 
what I mean to say is there's always those people that like you enough to listen to every single song fans. you've released. Yeah. And I love the idea of the voicemail sessions being every song we've ever written recorded in a linear order. I'd like to have a place on our website where, you know, if we've written 250 songs, it's the timeline. There they are. It's the timeline yeah. of every song and then a link to the YouTube video where we explain the story behind the song and we play it and right. yada yada. Um, that's just so fun. I mean, I'm a bit of a super fan of Coldplay. And mm. now I'm a bit of a super fan of Taylor Swift, <laughs> to be honest. I freaking love her music and her outlook and, and just on songwriting. Her outlook on songwriting, her outlook on, on that whole industry. And uh, she does such a good job. If she had a list on her website of every song she'd written in a linear order, I would study it. <laughs> I would probably click on, okay, now I'm focused on a couple of different things. But if you were to look at me two years ago, I probably would go through and click on every single one, grab a pen and paper and watch take her, notes. Watch her video on how she made it. Yeah. 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 Um, there's no telling how much of that is actually not necessary and waste of time and whatnot, but I would have done it. Mm -hmm. So... I'm excited about making that. It, it seems like another fun idea, and I would actually encourage other artists. Don't think, oh, that's a spondiferous idea. If you like it, we encourage you to do it. Of um, course. People shouldn't take ownership in like a monopoly-like way on this stuff. It, I'm not going to get into this, but it confuses me a lot of the times when, well, it confuses all of us, when people sue each other for certain sounds and stuff. Um in this art, you know, if you want to do a voice memo sessions and even call it the voice memo sessions, we didn't trademark it. Call it that, you know, say this is my voice memo sessions yeah. or call it whatever you want. Our first volume was with the actual voice memo app on our phone. And if that's all you can muster, the reason we did it was to encourage others to do whatever is in their abilities. Exactly. To just get started. And I think a big problem that people suffer from with that isn't even just feeling like, oh, someone else did it, but feeling inwardly, you know, a lot of artists suffer from imposter syndrome, just feeling as if they're oh, yeah. not actually an artist. Or I hear a lot of That's rough. people that we know that are, that are our age that, that want to think about being able to treat their art as a business or do something, something like that and say, oh, but I'm not a, not a business person that, uh, and it's just taking off those barriers of saying, hey, do you make art? Congratulations, you're an artist. Do yeah. you do business? Congratulations, you're a business person. And, and if you can take ownership, then you could look at yourself at the 100% that you're giving and double it and start to dig in 200%. Yeah. Watch twice as many videos, study twice as hard, fill out twice as many papers of notes. Ownership looks like that. Mm -hmm. as opposed to kind of being on the fence and going, you know, if I take ownership of this and other people think, what are other th people going to think? You should erase that and just dive head first. Yeah. Tanner, I think this was a good conversation. I feel, yeah. I feel thankful for Taylor Swift. Yeah. And it's time for the final question. Favorite Taylor Swift song. Go. I, it would be hard to say because right now when I listen to her going through all the albums for the first time. See, I, I, unlike you, haven't heard a lot of these songs. You have no Taylor Swift history. I'm in the honeymoon phase where <laughs> I like so many of them, but I haven't had enough time to figure out which one I listen to most. There's a dearth of hits to pull from. Dearth? Is dearth. that... Well, <laughs> I do have an answer, though, for my favorite production. Okay. And that's Death by a Thousand Cuts. Okay. It, I know that that's not my favorite song, just lyrical and, and everything else, but the production, when I, when I heard it, mostly because of the Tiny Desk concert. It's one of those ones that she plays on the guitar. She explains a bit about it. The moment she finished playing it, I went to Spotify and uh, just hearing the produced version back to back with that acoustic version, I screamed. I was in my car and I just went like, <laughs> I won't do it here, but I mean, it was a big moment. Just in terms of being impressed or? It was this, this wow moment of all of our acoustic songs that I like can get this kind of treatment if we understand okay. production. It revealed to you that 
it unraveled my mind. No, no song of ours me. is outside of the realm of possibility of being placed in that category. Of being on a Taylor Swift-esque record. Like whatever her genre is could be our genre. And then I just shed a tear of happiness. Cool. That's pretty solid. Thank you. I went extreme on that. But what's your favorite Taylor Swift song? <laughs> Taylor Swift is interesting for me because I admire her a lot as an artist. And we'll even, I'll, like, I'll openly admit she's, she, you've said it many times this episode, she's a better songwriter than you. I'll say it. She's a better songwriter than me. She's, I thought you were going to say, she is a better songwriter than you. <laughs> and, and it's true. She is. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And, but for me, the thing is kind of weird where I can even acknowledge that I think a lot of her songs are amazing, but I don't necessarily enjoy listening to a lot of them. Interesting. Even if I openly admit that it's a good song, I don't necessarily really, if I'm just trying to think about what I want to play on Spotify, those don't really pop up. Okay. But um, there, there's a few, and I'd say right now, uh, the it would probably be kind of one of the bigger ones from her most recent album, Folklore, which is the collab that she did with uh, I mean, Bon Iver, Bon Iver, however you want to say You're it. You're just a Bon Iver fan. That's, what that's, that's a big piece of it. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm super fanning over here, like, oh my gosh, Taylor Swift, and you're but, like, but no, it's it's cool because give me the Bon Iver. But Bon Iver's actually they've kind of gone off the deep end in terms of just being so kind of experimental lately, right? Whereas Taylor Swift is kind of so grounded in her writing. Yeah. Them coming together made something really cool with Exile. I I agree, it's a great song, and I also really like I like a lot of her collabs. Yeah. Um, I really liked the one with Ed Sheeran. I was like, this is a, such a good song. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I kept listening, I, I don't think either of those are my favorite. I think that whichever one ends up being my favorite a year from now when I actually you know, get some, get some ro- road under my feet and I understand which one I've listened to a thousand times over all the others, um, maybe we'll have to do a part two and I can tell you then. That'll be great. There, there's definitely enough to talk about to make a part two. <laughs> 150 episodes from now. Yeah. Because there are so many other artists to cover. All right, Tanner. That's I look a forward to seeing you there. Rap. <laughs>